welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are familiar with the name Danny Hilliard, maybe you're not, but Danny Hilliard was a a voice actor, kind of a down on his luck, a hard luck kind of guy. Work wasn't always real steady for him. He went from job to job, and because of that, it caused a great amount of stress in his family and in his marriage. He finally got what he thought was going to be steady work, but he found the work to be morally objectionable. So he quit his job, and he came home one day, and it was his child's birthday, so he decided to throw a birthday party. And when his wife came home early and saw the party and learned he had lost his job, that was it. That was it. She was done. She filed for divorce, and because she did have a good job, she got custody of their three children. It was very hard for Danny. And it was very hard for Miranda, his ex-wife, because she hadn't really thought about how difficult it would be to be a single parent to three children. So she had to hire help. She was going to hire a housekeeper slash nanny. But everybody she interviewed just didn't seem to meet the criteria that she was looking for. Then she received a call, the voice of an elderly British woman named Euphigenia, and it just sounded like the perfect fit. Euphigenia Doubtfire. Not really an elderly British woman, but a middle-aged white man by the name of Danny Hilliard, who with makeup and putting on a dress and doing his voice work was able to play the part of an elderly British woman. It allowed him to be closer to his kids. Of course, if you have seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire, then you remember that that role was played by the great late comedian Robin Williams. And in the, pro- the promotional tour before the movie came out, uh, he would be doing the interviews with news talk shows and everything, and they were always saying, wow, you did such a phenomenal job playing the part of this you know, British woman. It, it was just incredible. And in something that may not always be seen or expected from people in Hollywood, William's response was different than what we expected. Instead of saying, wow, it was a challenging role, but it was a lot of fun, he deflected all the credit away from himself, and he said, it was unbelievable. The people that did the costuming, the people that did the makeup, all the people that made this work, it was such a phenomenal thing. But it was almost as if the reporter never wanted to hear that. They would always just kind of brush that to the side and continue to give him all the credit. Compare that to Vivian Schiller, the chief digital officer for NBC News. Here's something she wrote on her LinkedIn site. She wrote, it's okay sometimes to take credit for the things you do not do because you won't always get credit for the things that you do do. 
This may sound presumptuous, but let's be honest. Inevitably, at some point in your career, you're going to work incredibly hard and get zero credit for it. But at some point, karma comes back around and you will be praised for something you had absolutely nothing to do with. Wow. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to take credit for what other people do. That's just not how it works. I mean, you know, football starts today, and, and we're going to see some play where a quarterback makes a great throw, and the quarterback's going to get all the credit for it. Or we're going to see a running back make a great run or a, a wide receiver make a great catch, and they're going to get all the credit for it. But if those people, in their honesty, were to really think about it, they would say, you know what? If my teammates hadn't been doing their job, I never could have done my job. The quarterback, if those big uglies in front of me aren't keeping the other big uglies off of me, there's no way I could have made that throw. We want to give credit. It's kind of a pet peeve. If, if people are taking credit for things that they don't rightfully have the responsibility of taking credit for, we expect people to give credit where credit is due. And yet this attitude of taking credit for somebody else's work is more prevalent than you might think, even among people in the church. Go back to the New Testament. You remember who the chief antagonist for Jesus' ministry was? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were that group that were the experts in the law of Moses. In fact, they knew the history of their country, and they knew that what happened was in the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the priests, God kept warning people, you've got to put away your idolatry. Quit worshiping idols, quit doing this, turn from your sin, and worship me. But they didn't do that. And despite all the warnings, ultimately then, the nation of Israel is taken out of the land of promise, and they're sent away to captivity in Babylon. Seventy years later, they come back, they rebuild Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple which has been destroyed, and the Pharisees want to make sure that will never happen again. They want to make sure that the promises of God are fulfilled. They want to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. And so they would tell people, we've just got to keep the law. If we keep the law, if we're faithful to the commandments, then God is going to continually bless us. And if you don't know what else to do, just look at us. Follow our example. We will show you the right way to live. And so when Israel was prospering because people were being faithful, guess who took the credit? It was the Pharisees. And they were taking credit that did not belong to them. Now, in some ways, that kind of goes against our sensibilities. We are a nation that believes... If you work hard, good things are going to happen. If you work hard, good, every coach of a team will tell people, work hard and good things will happen. Every music teacher, every band director, if we work hard, we're going to do good. 
Every parent <laughs> raises our children. If you will work hard, good things will happen to you. And what, what can, that can end up to people thinking is if you are good enough, God will bless you. Now, don't misunderstand. I do believe that blessings follow obedience. But a contemporary way of looking at this is to say, if you do good things, you get to go to heaven. And if you do bad things, you don't get to go to heaven. And yet that's not what the Bible really teaches us. The Bible teaches us a different way. And so even in the church, as people thought, if I just do the right things, that's what's required of me, they're missing an important point, a point that is written so well in Ephesians chapter 2. If you would give your attention to this reading from God's Word. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. If you're someone who likes to memorize scripture, those are some good verses to memorize. That is a foundational part of what we believe. Probably if I ask you if you'd memorize John 3.16, probably the first verse you ever memorized. Maybe some of you have memorized Psalm 23. But I'm going to tell you, if you need another few verses, those are the ones to go to because it tells us exactly what it is that brings us salvation. Our salvation is bought when the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross and then on the third day he rose again. That's what our salvation is based upon. And it is offered then to us as a gift. When we think salvation can be obtained by something we do, then we're trying to take the credit for what Jesus did. And we've already established we shouldn't take credit for things that we don't deserve the credit for. Grace is offered to us as a gift. It is a free gift. If we had to do something to earn it, it would not be grace. It would be a wage. If somehow or the other we could purchase it like any other retail commodity, then it would not be grace. It would be something that could be purchased. And oh, it was purchased, but at a cost much too great for anything that we could ever hope to earn. You see, when I read this scripture, I would just continue to say what we repeatedly share with people time and time again, that God loves us, God accepts us just the way we are. We don't have to start doing good things to get God to accept us. And yet when we receive this salvation because we believed, then an amazing transformative work begins in our life where we want to do good things as a response to what God has given, not that we have to do good things because we're trying to earn God's favor. Just basic, simple Christianity 101 for those of you that have been disciples for a while, and yet something that we so often need to hear. 
and because we call it grace and because it's free and because this goes against our sensibilities of a Protestant work ethic, sometimes we as people misunderstand grace. The most common misunderstanding of grace is what we call cheap grace. This is a phrase that came about during World War II. A Lutheran pastor from Germany who was a Nazi dissident and critic published a book in 1937 called The Cost of Discipleship. To this day, it continues to be a classic in Christian literature written by a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was such an outspoken critic of the Nazi party that he was finally arrested. He was imprisoned for 18 months, and then shortly before the fall of the Nazi party, he was hung and killed for crimes he really didn't commit. But in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer describes cheap grace. And this is how he writes it in his book. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Cheap grace is when we take credit for what God has done. Cheap grace is when we just say all you have to do is ask God to forgive when we've spent several weeks remembering that it's turn from sin and turn to God in true repentance. Cheap grace is not the way that Jesus really talked about it. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you've got to what? Lose your life. And if you lose your life, then Jesus will save it. Sometimes in the church, we, we can be guilty of wanting people to believe, and so we just continue to water down the gospel until it no longer looks like the gospel. Pastor Josh and I were talking about that this past week, and we got to the place where we said, we were actually talking about that, and we were talking about another young pastor who we both know, and I'm telling you, this guy's hardcore. <laughs> and we were saying, yeah, he's, he doesn't offer cheap grace. He offers something different, and it's what we called costly grace. And costly grace is another misunderstanding of grace. It requires something of us, and we just talked about this last Sunday. It, it requires something of us that God does not require. It says grace is not enough. There's more that you must do. I'm curious how many of you, when you woke up this morning, realize what today's date is. 9-11. I have a hunch. Yeah, I think all of y'all were alive then. You remember where you were? You remember what you were doing when you first heard the news that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center? Tyler, were you old enough to remember that? No, yeah. That's why we tell the story, because we don't want people to forget. 
My wife, Robin, we were living in Tulsa. She had gone to Ada for a doctor's appointment. I was driving to work on Yale Avenue in Tulsa. I was between 21st and 15th Street. I had big splash in Tulsa Fairgrounds on my left and Target on my right. And Robin called, and she said, I just heard something on the news that a, a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. Now, you know, I, you, you try to visualize that. You can't figure out what it was. I remember thinking it was probably some small aircraft that maybe had engine trouble and just couldn't steer itself out of the way. And, and she said, and something else may have happened at the Pentagon. They think maybe another plane crash. And so I got to the office, and I scrounged up a TV and brought it in and turned it on. And, and sure enough, you're, you're watching TV, and they're trying to figure things out. And then you see a plane crash into the tower. And that's when you realize that that wasn't a video that just happened again. That, that was a, a second plane that crashed into the other tower. This is not a mistake. This was planned. This is an attack. And you had that range of mixed emotions, the disbelief that this just happened, and, and perhaps even some fear. Are our borders not as secure as we thought they were? How could somebody do this? And then we had those feelings of anger, the feelings of outrage. You don't poke a bear and get away without a fight, right? And they just poked the bear. And we're not going to let them get away with this. And all these emotions and all these feelings are, are growing through your mind. And, and friends, I will tell you that panic and uncertainty when mixed together can make a very toxic cocktail for people to drink. Over and over again, you wondered how would we respond? Who is responsible for this? I asked Robin to call me before she left Ada that day. I just wanted to know when to expect her home, and she did what she did so many times when we lived in Ada. She went to the convenience store on 14th and Mississippi to buy herself a Dr. Pepper and thus address her addiction but she also stopped and gassed up the car. And when she called me, she said, I don't know what it's like in Tulsa, but it's crazy down here. Everybody is gassing up their car. There's a line at every gas station, and it's almost as if people are afraid that there's not going to be enough gasoline, and what we begin to see is the prices at the gas stations continues to climb. She said, I had to pay double for gas what I did before I left Tulsa. They're price gouging. That's costly grace, is gouging people for what they have to do. It's trying to get people to convert to faith in Christ based on fear and condemnation instead of understanding what grace really is, a free gift offered to all of us without cost because the cost has been paid. Grace is free, but Bonhoeffer writes, discipleship brings with it a cost. That having given ourselves to Christ, then the reality is we must take up our cross and follow after him, losing our life so he might save it. And sometimes if, if we're still trapped in that place where we feel like we have to do something in order to receive the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of our salvation, when we get 
trapped into that, what we begin to do is we begin to create a different kind of idol, an idol that we must satisfy when we seek to live then in response to what we have received. And so it is that, that people can be so, so busy struggling to overcome their sin that they begin to think that God's going to run out of patience with me. Surely there's an end to all the grace that God has to offer. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, God's grace is a bottomless reservoir that will never run dry. I'm glad y'all said amen because that's a good word. It reminds me of a, an old song. I bet some of y'all have heard it. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power. Is that not good news? The blood that Jesus shed to pay the price of our sin, the power that he displayed in rising again from the dead is never going to lose its power. It's never going to go away. You see, the story of Danny Hilliard was that ultimately... They found out he was a fraud. He wasn't really Euphigenia Doubtfire. He was Danny Hilliard in a costume, in a dress, just trying to be close to his friends. But Danny Hilliard learned something, and that is that the truth will set you free. He actually got a steady job playing Mrs. Doubtfire for a children's television show. He actually got to spend time with his kids without having to wear a mask, and without having to wear a dress. And so, beloved, I want us to know, you don't have to wear a mask about your faith when you come here. You don't have to dress up as what you think a Christian really ought to look like. In our honest moments, we know we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with those habits that we have that that cause us guilt, and sometimes they cause us shame, and sometimes we feel in bondage to them. But that's not how we have to live. You see, the promise of our salvation is a gift, and we can't take credit for that. We give credit to the one who paid the price, and we live in grateful response as his disciples, telling other people, the good news. Would y'all pray with me?